0: This is Nisha Katona, CEO of Mowgli Street Food, and you are listening to the Academy's Developing Practice Podcast.
1: In this episode, we met up with Nisha Katona, CEO of Mowgli Street Food Restaurants and founder of the Mowgli Trust charity. We explore her experiences of setting up her restaurant chain, her leadership style, and the motivation behind her actions. We hope you enjoy.
2: Nisha, we're really pleased to be speaking to you today. We're delighted to have the founder of Mowgli, one of my favourite restaurants in Liverpool, on the podcast to talk to us about your experiences. But before Mowgli, you were a child protection barrister. So we were just wondering if you could please tell us a little bit about your background and how you arrived at the creation of Mowgli. (laughs) <laughs> that's about 50 years worth of, of information, I think. But, um,
0: well, I was born and, and raised in, in this country in a place called Skelmersdale, which is in the northwest of England, very working class uh, town. Uh, my parents came over as doctors to Skem in about 1968. Um, and so that's where I started my life. And very typically, I think, of Asian immigrants, we were raised to be either doctors or lawyers. And, um, and you certainly weren't raised to be in the kitchen. You weren't taught to cook or anything like that. But food was a very big part of your life. Um, so I went through and I became a barrister. But all the while, it was really interesting. My, my earliest memories of, um, of being in Scam were bricks being thrown through our window. The racism was horrendous. We were the first Indians in the village, really, um, and we were spat up daily in the streets and stones thrown at us and firebombs and things like that. And it was, it's not trite to say that honestly, for us, food became a real um, a vehicle for integration because we would invite people back from school or from the neighbourhood, from you know, the street, and the teenagers would fill the house and then their parents would fill the house. And it was, you know, as though sort of, I always say, so Korma was this real sort of Kofi Annan force for integration for us. So food was a very big thing. And I think it is for many immigrants, you know, these recipes, they will die out if we don't uh, become trustees of them. And so even while I was a barrister, I was teaching Indian cooking. I was writing cookbooks. I got an agent for, for, you know, for um, my sort of cookery media work while I was still a barrister. and then the sort of bug of entrepreneurship bit. And I started to think, look, if I'm addicted to this food, which in my view is not represented on the high streets, those curry houses are fantastic, but they are nothing like we, the way that we eat at home. You know, Indians pretty much are, you know, plant-based food that is cooked really fresh and um, simply, we don't have these heavy, thick sauces with lumps of meat on them. That's just not recognizable to most Indians. And I started to think, well, if I'm addicted to this food and have been for 50 years, maybe, maybe people in Liverpool might feel the same. And once the idea came to my head, it wouldn't let me sleep And until I brought it to life. It was as though I would have lived a half life. It's that um, persuasive, the, the, the bite of the entrepreneur bug. And that's when I thought about starting Mowgli. So I, while I was a barrister, what I did is I thought, well, I'll research this. Let's see if people really would want this kind of food. So during the lunch breaks, I'd go and stand outside cafes and sandwich shops and see literally footfall count and count what people were ordering. Were they ordering things with spice in? What were the women ordering? What were the men ordering? Where did the high-vis people go to, to have their lunch? What was the market was like doing a GCSE business um, exam? Um, I would go after work and stand in the corner of commercial kitchens in my suit and just watch what it takes to run a commercial kitchen because for a woman like me, so I had two teenage daughters, I was approaching my fifties then, and you look at the way the media portray the hospitality industry, kitchens, chefs, and it is this aggression filled, testosterone fueled, brutal, hellish place. No place for someone like me. Um, And so I really needed to understand why is it inevitable that you turn into a beast if you're in a kitchen and it's not inevitable at all. What's wonderful is that there was no playbook for me. I ripped it up and I started again and built Mowgli on this kind of maternal management model, this place that's filled with love and joy and kindness with a zero tolerance policy on any aggression, on any brutality, with charitable giving as a sort of central pillar of what we do. And thank God so far it's worked.
2: Wonderful. And what gave you that courage to, to step out and to give up what you trained for as a barrister? And, and in terms of what you're talking about with the kind of social dynamic of, of what kitch, how kitchens were represented, what gave you that courage to be brave and to go for it?
0: Honestly, you know, I really do think this and the more I speak to entrepreneurs and business people, the more I realize that you are cut from two kinds of cloth. You're kind of content and normal or you are an entrepreneur and it isn't voluntary. I, you know, in, into Mowgli and still it's the case. The roof over my head is dependent on Mowgli. You know, I put all my savings into her. We, I, You know, I really jeopardized everything to, to build this um and i'm a prudent person it it is beyond that it is such a surging passion i can't tell you it's such an overwhelming surging passion because i could see there was a gap in the market i knew that i had the skill to fill it in a unique way you what you don't know is whether people are going to come or not but if two of the pieces are in place then then if, if you're an entrepreneur it's it's not even a question you have to try it you have to try it um so so It wasn't, honestly, it wasn't courage. And I'll tell you why it wasn't courage, because what it was was hard work. It was total dedication. The reason it wasn't courage is because I carried on being a barrister. So I would work in court in the daytime. I would then go to the restaurant and and put on high-vis and a hard hat and physically build my first restaurant. I would then waitress in that restaurant. My children would see me by coming in and doing homework in the restaurant. It was absolutely a sacrifice of everything that I had for me and my family that's not courage that's graft really I think courage is um is a tricky one I think you've got to be really uh, clever about the way you approach this it's not just about being gung-ho and thinking oh, I'm gonna do it because I think I can do it it really is that you've got to in a very mercenary and clinical way thinking is there a gap in the market can I uniquely fill it you know um Without crippling my responsibilities and my family, and you know, in the process of doing that, and it's only when that second rope is is firm enough for you to swing to, I would suggest you let go of your your responsibilities. So I had a brilliant job with a great salary as a barrister, and I gave all of that up for Mowgli. Can you imagine? But it's only when I realized that look, from Mowgli, I can still I can do an Aldi shop and we'll be all right. It was only then that I swung across, and that's what I really advocate for anyone: is that don't just in that if you build it, they will come way, think that they will because that's nonsense. It's not the case that if you build it, they will come, it is not inevitable. You do your research, you look after your responsibilities, and then swing across. So it's not about courage, it's about being really clever, and really responsible.
1: That's really interesting that you've obviously really nailed down on the on the hard work and the graph that you had to put in. And I've heard from various people who are who have been entrepreneurs or are doing that at the moment and they say similar things about that their passion is the work not what you get out of it but you know it's the love of the process are you the same way
0: yeah you're absolutely right it's so interesting i find entrepreneurs fascinating it's a whole different psychology and you and what's so interesting is you're absolutely right what i realized about them is that you know, the successful ones. You look at the, I mean, for all of his flaws, you look at the Steve Jobses and the Dysons and the Elon Musk's who's as mad as a box of frogs, whatever, you look at them all. And the thing that they have in common, I was talking to my husband about this, is passion. It's not about how, they don't focus on the bottom line. You never go into entrepreneurism, sacrificing everything, focusing on the bottom line, thinking I will make this much money because that will give you fuel for a couple of months, maybe a couple of months. But what you need is to be evergreen, your passion for your business, your business. I always say in Mowgli and head off this, it always has to be springtime in Mowgli, Um, never even the summer. So I don't ever want to see the autumn leaves, you know, of of ideas sort of falling. It's always got to be springtime in terms of our ideas and our energy. And that comes from having a real a real passion for what you do whatever it might be you might be selling you know shark's teeth or whatever you know fossilized shark's teeth whatever it is if it comes from a passion that you can constantly sustain that is new every morning and you wake up and you've got you know a new energy for it um I think that's what that's what entrepreneurs having well the ones that are successful have in common business people I think that focus solely on the bottom line can make it but I think Not just personally, but I think the business and the energy in the business can become calcified very quickly. So you are very right; it's that passion. When you've got that passion, it's not you don't work a day in your life. I don't think Mowgli's. I didn't as a barrister. I loved being a barrister. I feel in 50 years I haven't worked a day in my life, and I could only wish that for my children. All you could wish for for anyone, you know. And it's the same for you to look at us. This is this is work, and we're sitting here having a fantastic chat. You know. Yeah. It's, it's amazing it's amazing you know and I appreciate that every single day so that comes I think from the heart you've got to love what you do
1: well yeah definitely and the, and the podcast for us is definitely a labor of love we, we really enjoy this part of our roles without you know without a shadow of a doubt yeah. um, your passion um, has obviously led to Mowgli being really successful and has gone to from strength to strength with now 11 restaurants to date is that still up to date yet 11
0: yeah, We'll open our 12th in oh, June and then we, at the end of the year we'll be getting 15 restaurants. I open about four restaurants a year. So so wow. far we're on track to do Cheltenham, Cheshire Oaks, Bristol this year and then into next year we will do Glasgow, Edinburgh, um, Brighton, I'm looking at Newcastle um, and Preston. So these are so for a year is what I will build while I can, if I can. Because for each Mowgli we create 60 jobs and 40 grand a year for each house charity so why would I not build you know it's you it's that point again why am I building because the truth is I would be better off personally if I just had one Mowgli and took all the money out of her do you know what I mean that's that's a nice mama papa business I don't do that (laughs) sadly you just you you look at I I needed something bigger and better to get me out of bed every morning and it's the creation of jobs the charitable giving that we do in each thing it's not a small thing honestly you've got to have something worthy to work for and that's
1: why i build her yeah well we'll come on to the charitable element of it a little bit later I mean that some of the figures i've seen are, are amazing really amazing together with that success as well and by the way just just can i just throw in that can stoke be somewhere on that list because yes. i need a mowgli somewhere near <laughs> me quite soon yeah
0: <laughs> You're going to move to Liverpool, for goodness sake. Well, say. this
1: is it. I can get to the one on Bold Street. so yeah, I,
0: yeah,
1: and Cheshire Oaks isn't too far I'm away I'm excited
0: either. about Cheshire Oaks. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think it's great because it's got the parking and it's dog-friendly. And for me, it's really wheelchair-friendliness is really important, you know, mobility scooters because mm. my mum's in one. So wherever I choose a new site, honestly, I go with my mum in a mobility scooter, take my dogs and my children, and that's how I go about choosing a new venue, as if it's no use to all of us, no use to anyone. And Cheshire Oaks is great in that way.
2: Um, you've talked a lot about how Mowgli is there to enrich the lives in the cities that you go to. And that's a really nice vision to have. I was just wondering if you could um, explain to us a little bit about this kind of pillar that you have at the center of your business for charitable giving. We had um we chatted to the CEO of Clare House very recently on this podcast, um, and he was talking about the importance of kind of joining up um business with, with the charities. Could you tell us about your motivation for doing that?
0: Yeah, it's um it comes from this sort of maternal attitude towards the business, it's really interesting. So the reason I build Mowgli or or the, the reason we exist is to enrich lives in the cities we go to. And that starts, it's not the food comes later, it starts with enriching the lives of my staff, my team. So I, when I go to a city, want Mowgli to be somewhere you would want your children to go and work. That's the criteria for me because to be in work in Mowgli is almost nicer than being at home. And so I want my people, and this is where it all comes from, to feel three things. I want them to feel purposeful, nourished, and fulfilled. Purposeful meals that means I want them to know that there is a career tree, that you can go from being a KP, a kitchen porter in Mowgli, to head chef and earn more than a junior doctor in two and a half years. That I need you to know that and we'll get you there. Um, the nourished is we put on a whole package of, of uh, well-being programs we send our chefs and our, our teams out to India to go and live in villages we you know we completely gird their life around with in- activities that enrich their lives you know it could be sushi making in the morning or sourdough or yoga or cycling or you know absentee and whatever it is we put things on for them we have a Friday night dinner every Friday where the team gets stays behind and gets pizza and we pay for all that so that, that's the nourish now the fulfilled I really do believe that as humans for us to feel fulfilled we've got to be outward facing it's not about us it's about actually seeing the needs of not just your direct community but the people around you and globally and that's charitable giving so in the way that I would raise my children to be aware of life outside of their little cosseted middle class world I want my my teams to be living and breathing you know the lives that our communities um have and and where their needs are and that's charitable giving so every Mowgli has a house charity so when you when you are that way and when you're looking at the needs of others you know that with that just comes a sense of your own fortuitousness and, and you know your fulfillment and all of that so it's really important for your own emotional well-being in every way to to have that outward perspective that's where the charitable bit came from for me when I set Mowgli up I thought how do I want my people to feel to make them really feel as I would want my own children to feel let's get a charitable uh, a charity associated with each restaurant that I open and so that's what I do we have a house charity we pay one of the members of staff to become the charity champion and they constantly organize events you know fundraising events for the charity we for every full-time member of staff we take on we sponsor a child in need and we don't just sponsor them our people write to them interact with them um you know it is it is a day a part of your day-to-day life in Mowgli to be thinking about your house charity and what we can do and I think from that there is a you know it really sort of feeds you as a person so that's where the charitable thinking it sounds a bit do you remember smashy and nicey those DJs (laughs) (laughs) charity and I hate even talking about it you sound like such a prat, but actually I don't care I'm going to say the word and I'm going to talk about charity because I believe that every single one of my children that work for me in my restaurants could go on to be an entrepreneur and I too would want them to have charitable giving as a central limb of whatever their business they go on to build so shamelessly I will talk about it because I just think we all need to be cognizant of of that sort of duty to our community and to you know our global community when we when we're lucky enough to be able to make money out of the business really
2: I think you're right. I think it makes a real impact on, on your local community, doesn't it? But it also makes an impact on yourself as well. As a, as a family, we've sponsored a child in need. Um, when my eldest was born, we, we decided to sponsor a child, just like you do for every employee that you take on. And the impact that that's had on us as individuals, as well as obviously on the child that we've sponsored, is massive. You know, it's really enhanced our our experience as a family so I guess there's that kind of two-way thing isn't there between the charity you know what you give to the charity but also what the charity gives back to your employees as well
0: you are absolutely right and that's why I'm really particular about the charities that we support because you know what's great to talk about the Liverpool charity you've got Clatterbridge we've got Clare House it's I call it co-parenting so when I meet the founders and CEOs of these charities I talk about co-parenting and and we will stay with that charity as long as they look after my people as long as they and this is what's so important with Clare House and Clatterbridge They take our teams around the hospital. So our teams understand that, look, if we raise this much money, we get to get this kind of a machine. Or we can have, you know, £40 to make a wig, you know, for someone that's having chemotherapy. Those tangible indicators of where where the money's going are so important. So I only work with charities that actually day-to-day are helping co-parent my Moby teams. But like you say, Alex, you know, you've raised a child now... With this kind of sibling, a charitable sibling, and this is exactly what I want to do with my Mowgli family: is that they grow, knowing that you know, charitable giving is an important part, really important part in terms of what it does for them, and in terms of what it's doing for the person that that's benefiting.
1: Every guest we have on the podcast at the moment, we always we we seem to be asking a very similar question, and it's because of the way the of the world at the moment, with us being in a pandemic. Um, so we always ask about, you know, how are you managing, how are you coping through a pandemic, but for your sector in particular, with the hospitality sector being so you know, massively, massively hurt by the pandemic, can you, can you tell us about how you've personally found leading Mowgli through this time?
0: Yeah, um, it's been a pleasure, to be honest. I haven't found it in, I have not had a moment's anxiety or stress which is incredible, actually, when I stop and think about that through the whole of this. So what happened is, um, honestly, I build Mowgli in the way that I build my own home in that you know she has headroom, she has breathing space, so we could be closed for another four months and we'd be fine. I build her carefully. We don't over leverage, we don't take it close to the hilt. she's healthy. Um, and what that meant, that security just building her in that prudent way meant that even before as soon as I heard about what was happening in Italy, this is March of last year, we, I closed Moglio a week before we had to, and we paid everyone in full because I just knew, I just thought, first of all, I thought I just want to protect them from the pandemic. So we'll close before we have to, and it will come right. And it did because then furlough came out. So we honored our staff in terms of their physical and emotional health closing early and financially by paying them in full what then happens is that they remain loyal to us because we were loyal to them. So we haven't lost a single member of staff. Um, They're all raring to come back. They come back with a renewed energy. They come back with a renewed allegiance to to Mowgli because we've got their back. You know, we truly have got their back. And once, so, so what you didn't have or what I didn't have is I didn't have a body of staff that were anxious or worried about losing their jobs or worried about how we would treat them or worried about, do they come off furlough and suddenly we sack them, None of that because they knew what our heart was at the beginning. So, you know, we collaboratively really rode lockdown really well. What happens is, I'll tell you what happened in the beginning with hospitality particularly, particular, I can tell you about my industry. Everyone was striving really hard to keep their teams engaged. So we've got an internal sort of social media platform and we were doing loads of competitions, best banana bread, best dog walk, all of that kind of stuff. And then what happened, anyway, we came out of lockdown and then we locked down again and there was no light at the end of the tunnel. And what you realise is that people... We need to stop trying. We just needed to say to people, look, just enjoy lockdown. We will be out at some point, but we're not going to constantly force you to come and interact with us, you know? So my GMs phone every single member of their teams every couple of weeks to see how they're doing. We need to make sure that they're doing okay. So we've got that constant connection, but we don't contrive to, you know, to use the social media platforms to keep all the staff interacting Um Otherwise, I'm letting them rest because they will come back with a, with a vengeance in May. So that was a nice relief, really, just to think, you know, you don't have to try too hard. They are secure. They're safe. They're mine. And we will all be reunited soon. So it's been a pleasure, to be honest. It really has. I think it's a pleasure because thankfully we didn't have to make any difficult decisions.
1: Yeah, it's really good to hear that you're looking after your, your team so well. Did you have to make any adaptions or adaptations, sorry, to your business as a result? I mean, so as an example, um, the local football team that I support during the first lockdown and into the second provided 300 free meals for the uh, local community, which, you know, just amazing things that they, they, they did to turn around uh, that many meals just using the facilities that they got in the football club. Have you changed your... A model did you move to did you do run a delivery service or have you just basically kept it as it was
0: um, you, you keep it closed because what's most important honestly is that these people have got 500 people have got jobs to come back to so I don't believe in keeping the brand alive for the sake of keeping the brand alive it's not about that um we I do all the social media for Mowgli so um I did you know once I locked down I did a video every single day so i did a video a cooking video every single day on what i cooked you know for four people with the debris that was in my fridge and that was really helpful i think to a lot of people so i I put a lot of effort into doing that kind of stuff um but i'm not going to change the model i'm not going to start doing delivery and um, all of those things that i would never have come to the restaurant industry for i don't love the idea of people eating Mowgli in their underpants watching tv I, I that's not why I left being a barrister I want people to take their kids and their dogs and come and sit in our restaurants and get the lights back on the high street I don't want you to be eating my stuff out of a plastic box in your, on your sofa and so I have to because the truth is that would have brought us some money in um but I have to actually I came to this industry because I believe in how powerful and important it is to 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 provide reasonably priced food that is really good for you to family so they can come and eat together out and I have to stick to those guns so for the pennies that I would have made I'm not going to sully my ideology which is get people back into restaurants as soon as we can and and I want people to come to eat Mobley twice a week, you know, because you can eat for two people. You can eat for seven quid per head, you know, really healthy stuff. So come and eat. So that's why I'm really particular about that. I wouldn't do delivery. I don't believe in these home take-up boxes where you cook curry on the hobby. It's just not why I came to the business. I came to this for for restaurants and that's what I'm sticking to.
2: Um, I really enjoyed listening to you talk, Nisha, about how fundamental to Mowgli is this idea of grace and intelligence and graft. And I guess as you start to think about kind of post-COVID, those three key elements will inform your motivation and your plans for the future. So what does the kind of future hold for you now looking forward kind of post-COVID? um it's really grace
0: intelligence graph applies to every single decision i make every human that i hire every time i have to decide whether someone is right for the business or or a decision is right for the business i hold it up to those three piercing lights you know is it full of grace uh, is there a good emotional intelligence to this person or to this decision and you know the the, the graft element you know that of course there's going to be graft element you know they we need to love to work at these ideas or these people love to need to work um, the future for Mowgli honestly it's quite sweet and quite simple it is simply to grow at the rate of about four a year and to enrich lives in the cities that we go to and while people still want us I will still grow and then as soon as you know, people move to burgers or whatever the next food thing is. You know, then then I will slip away in the way that many many brands do. Um, but so far, I mean, Indian food has been a big part of this country since it arrived here in the 1700s. So I think the future is really bright for Mowgli, and there is a reason why we grow. And as I've said, you know, to enrich lives, it's really important. So so it is that level of growth, um, and that's just a nice easy thing for me to do. It's very easy for me to find sites and to get people together and build a restaurant and create the food. Um, so it, it doesn't feel like a chore or any kind of a stress at all. But all the while, what I do is expand my team and it's, that's really exciting. You know, you get another you know, 60 people per site and the 200 and whatever per year. It's exciting.
1: Brilliant. Thanks for your time, Nisha. Um, this podcast is the developing practice podcast, and we like to finish each podcast in the same way where we ask our guests um, three or four take-home tips that the listeners could reflect on in terms of their own practice. So if you've got anything or one or two tips that people could uh, reflect on, what would they be?
0: Um, I, think, I think when you're leading or starting a business or starting a project, for me, what I realise is that I need a real sort of compassionate clarity of purpose and you've got to work out what that is why is it that you are doing this thing you know why is it that you've decided to start a new job or a new project or hiring this person you know what what gets you out of bed every day and I think working out for me my clarity of purpose is to enrich lives in the cities we go to so have that you know use your emotion and your heart and your words to find out what it is that makes you tick and makes you want to keep going with this your practice or your project um and it's got to be this thing that's bigger than yourself than the day-to-day the bean counting kind of thing you know it might be that the bean counting in fact just makes you feel full of joy and focus for eight hours a day and that's fine that's your clarity of purpose because i bean count because it makes me feel wonderful for eight hours a day and then i go and watch Coriari or whatever it is do you know what i mean so it's that the second thing is honestly the world doesn't know you're living i mean this is coming from a very entrepreneurial angle and and you know this is my aspect of some someone who's changed careers and started to do something else and it really is you have to be so circumspect and um, and you know sort of calculating in a really humble way about the chances of your success because the world doesn't owe you're living you've got to really bring something, a unique passion, a you know, a real skill to the widget that you're going to create. And um and that's got to fill a gap in the market. So don't just think it will it will come to you. You've got to work at it. Um, and then you've also got to be clever enough to call it a day when you see that it's beginning to affect though you and those around you. If suddenly you've got no roof over your head and you know your your marriage is walking out the door because you've turned into a psychopath because you've got no <laughs> call it a day it wasn't meant to be and that's fine because then for every door that closes another one will open
1: brilliant thanks for your time this year you've been you've been great to speak with
0: it's a pleasure
2: Well, I really enjoyed that conversation with Nisha. There was lots there um, for me to think about and reflect on in terms of uh, my leadership style and my practice. I thought it was really interesting what she said about how she um, really aims to um, keep it springtime within Mowgli. So never summer and certainly not autumn. She wants her ideas and her energy to be fresh, just like in the spring. And she said that this comes from a real passion for what you do and that that sustains her every morning.
1: Yeah, she did say that. And what something else she mentioned quite a few times was the grace, intelligence and graft. And those are three characteristics that she uses for all of her decisions, big and small. She says that she has a compassionate clarity of purpose for all that she does because she uses those three characteristics, which I found really interesting.
2: Well, if you'd like to take your thinking further, we've added some resources to the website on a specific podcast reading list, which you can access at liverpool.ac.uk forward slash the hyphen academy forward slash podcast. Also, we'd love to hear what you thought about the podcast. So please do tweet us at LiveUni Academy. And you can also find us at eLearnerMatt or at Alexandra underscore Owen on Twitter.
1: I'm really grateful for those who have taken the time to either rate or review our show in your podcast providers app. So if you are an Apple user, please do take the time to review our show as it really will help others find us. Bye for now.